It's Tuesday night. That means it's mystery, murder, and mayhem. Tonight, the story of three uncommon heroes coming together, combining all their goodness and might for a wonderful task. It's a heartwarming story tonight on True Crime Tuesday. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. Policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, wolf pack. That's the thing that we say when we start the show around here. I've never known what it meant. Anyway, welcome to Failure to Stop. This is the number one podcast and platform where we entertain and inform first responders and their friends and we confuse and depress uh, all their family. So welcome to True Crime Tuesday. My name's John. I'm an active 911 dispatcher in the field. I've been a 911 dispatcher for about eight years. Joining me as always is uh, Kendra. Kendra is a former police officer. And she may hold a future in law enforcement again. We don't know if that just means selling her plasma and then going out and anemically hunting bounties or <laughs> going rogue. Or we don't we don't know what, what all that will entail. She may just uh, make up her own her own future cases for True Crime Tuesday. But folks, this is the show <laughs> where we bring you cases, real life true crime cases, not civil stuff anymore. We stopped doing the civil things. We stopped presenting true life cases of like breach of contract and car accidents and private parking lots. We no longer do that. But now we tell uh, stories and we do it from a from a police perspective or a, a real life perspective. We're not just people who uh, do lots of research on true crime cases. I can assure you that we do that, although it's not always. So a mixed assurance there. But uh, Kendra's a former police officer. I'm a 911 dispatcher. That means every time a criminal case comes in, I'm the first person to hear about it. I do a lot of groundwork investigating. And then someone like Kendra on patrol goes and does further investigations. And uh, sometimes she just goes ahead and solves it. Sometimes she gives it to a detective so that they can feel good and make a career out of the hard work that she's done. But we know more than the common person. (laughs) (laughs) We know more than the... So true, right? It's so... I'm sorry, but it's true. Absolutely true. We get all the credit. (laughs) Uh, it, it's amazing how many police reports I have seen where it's just copied and pasted of my CAD notes. So I started typing all my CAD notes in capitals so that they would at least have to retype it. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, uh, so we know a little bit more about uh, how criminal justice and how uh, cases work. We know why and when police can and can investigate something or when they can't can't arrest someone so it's a little bit different than your typical you know whiny white girl drinking her coffee complaining that the police aren't doing their job as is so often is the case on some of these inferior true crime podcasts so before we get into that i just wanted to check on kendra i haven't seen her in uh not since last year (laughs) because this is her first first episode of 2024 it's now 2024 it's a shocking new year. Uh, I can't believe it's been four years since 2020. I can't believe that I'm this old. You know, I turned <sighs> 40 this year. I've got a lot going against me. Not a lot to look forward to as the lights dim on my life and I enter the the last twilight days of my existence. But how was your uh, how was your New Year's Eve? How was your New Year's Day? Did you watch any football games or 
tell me in great detail the truth of exactly what happened to you just within the last 48 hours. Did you have a good time? Well, first of all, uh, I would like to um, say thank you for all of the inside joke references that literally no one listening is going to get. Like nope, the anemic, just for me, just for me and you. The anemia, and you know, maybe one day we should start writing these down and then publish them as like yeah. A, it would be nice if uh, the public could know about anemia, but they do not. <laughs> That's why I laughed so hard at that. I, uh, I, I realized how confusing that would probably be for someone who had no idea what we were talking about. Kendra but... thinks weak people are hilarious. Anyone who like needs help, <laughs> she's very. I love me no. a good invalid. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes she drives to the store just to see people parking in handicap spots and she just laughs and laughs. That's <laughs> my only source of entertainment since the New Year. It's actually, the impressive. reason why we're doing tonight's episode because we have we were talking about the case of someone who was forced to be an invalid and she finds that to be especially funny. Mm. Um, yep. No, that's, uh, why, <laughs> that's why I chose it. Yes, but no, circling really. back to you, a uh, lot being locked into a story of uh, your the truth of your life. How were the last forty eight hours for you as you rang in the new year? Any, uh, any, uh, any, any family traditions? Now that you're a separate family from me, with given that we're divorced, I don't know what your family traditions are uh, anymore. Literally, the only tradition that I do is I try to stay up until midnight, and then I usually don't, and um, I drink some wine. And if I feel like it, I make that like, you know, like the, the, um, <laughs> yeah, it's so traditional. I can't even fucking remember what it is. Um, the beans and the collard greens and the cornbread. I don't know if that's like a Southern thing, but it's like pork yep. and beans <laughs> on New Year's. I don't know why, <laughs> but, and then, uh, you know, that's pretty much the only thing that I do. I'm spending New Year's probably alone by choice, just hanging out, you know, it's like you said. It's been a long four or five years and uh, it hasn't been good. I saw a meme recently that was like, you know, if if you're like 39 years old, which really spoke to me as a 39 year old, I said, it says, if you're 39, like you basically have gotten to the point where you don't expect good things to happen anymore. And it's just like the last couple of years have really done that to me. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's just because I'm really reckoning with middle age or if just because the suck really has come on pretty hard since 2019 or what. Uh, but yeah, it's just hard to look forward to anything, but new year's tradition for me, you know, I'll, I'll go outside in the crisp cold air under a blanket of a thousand million stars and I'll lift a small snifter of whiskey and I'll drink to world peace to finally come at last. It never fucking happens, Kendra. So it's always a, a waste nice of time every year. I should just go to bed at eight. It so sounds like a nice tradition. Morning. Well, yeah. it also sounds kind of made up. So I am, um, I am turning 30 in the coming days too. So that's exciting, I guess. Yeah. Way to remind uh, everyone that you're significantly younger than me. It's one of a thousand reasons why your parents never approved of our marriage. Well, they said it was creepy and wrong. And then I said I was just in it because I knew someday we'd be divorced and forced to do a podcast. And this is when podcasts are still kind of a new thing. So. You well, know, you get into get into things, and you're not real sure why you did them. Thanks for your foresight, because this is great. Yeah, I'm glad you're having a good time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are so, you doing for Christmas? Uh, what are you doing for Christmas? Uh, be- <laughs> before we get into it, I just want to remind you guys: uh, we're on uh, YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for doing that. Hit like, hit subscribe, 
so you can keep up with uh, true crime and other shows on here. Otherwise, you can go over to Rumble. If you don't like the president and the military industrial complex controlling what your entertainment is and what your thoughts are, you can go over to Rumble. They used to be a little bit more loosey-goosey with the whole uh, mind control thing over there. Also on Spotify, you know, listen to us on Spotify. Leave us a five-star review over there. If you're listening to us in Apple Podcasts, leave a whole long review in which you praise me specifically, and then I will raise that. I will read that on the air. So I would appreciate it if you would do that. But before we go any further, we got to pay the bills. So I just wanted to say thank you again, of course, to Ghostbed, folks. Ghostbed's an awesome company. They're great. Okay, they make beds and they make bed, you know, stuff that goes with beds, pillows, sheets, blankets, mattresses, and all this. Go over there. Use our offer code Wolfpack. You can get 40% off straight out of the gate on everything that they have over there. Check out their website. They've got lots of cool stuff, proprietary cooling technology, stuff that will amaze you while you're asleep. You'll be you'll be completely unconscious and yet completely thunderstruck by the sleeping experience that you're having. Vivid dreams of actually being asleep is what we promise you. <laughs> sleeping on a ghost bed. <laughs> go, go over there and check out their website. Use our offer code, like I said make it very easy to do right so like uh they got zero percent down zero percent financing if you have the credibility of a woman who would abuse her child for 24 years you could probably go over there and uh, still get a ghost bed they really do make it easy for just about anyone to do we appreciate ghost bed of course because they're the only mattress that's made in the good old u-s-a 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 hey are you doing this on purpose hey I, we we finally synchronized, and then you gave up. <laughs> we finally get on the same page, and you just walk out of counseling. I mean, you just stopped <laughs> doing. Yes, I'm sorry. I am a little and bit you, of a quitter. It's you, a flaw. You are well. I mean, you know, yes, but I mean, what do you mean? Did I do that intentionally? That I I, did I, I thought... slowed down to synchronize with you? Yes. We were synchronized on the first one, and then you did a long pause when I started. Never I don't mind. Think that's Continue. True. Okay. Folks, if you think that I'm right, <laughs> that I did that I I want you to go ahead and, and indicate so in the chat saying John did that correctly and then Kendra did it wrong. This is something a benefit that we never had while we were married was that we could, you know, have basically spectators weigh in and and say what kind of job we're doing. But if you think that I got that right and you think Kendra gave up on it a little too quickly, just go ahead and indicate there in the chat. So I'd appreciate that, Will Cray. I appreciate that, Michael Hendricks. I appreciate that, Faulkner Writer. Thank you for waiting <laughs> for an Abby, of course. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Also, um, let's also talk about Factor Meals. Folks, uh, we just had a, a whole season of overindulgence, right? You know, between. Uh, Halloween candy that you ate all the way through till Thanksgiving, and then you're eating the leftovers of that till about Christmas time, and then having given up on your own self-image and your plans for the future, you uh, just ate Christmas food all the way through. Now, now you're like, well, I want to change my life. Well, one way you could do that is through excellent planning, right? Meal planning, going to the gym. It's that time of year where we were trying to put ourselves back together. Instead of living on a whim and uh, giving into your cravings, why don't you go ahead and when you're of clear mind, right, decide now what you're going to eat. You're going to fill up your life with delicious and healthy food, whether that's a nice lean chicken breast, some nice buttered asparagus with a little bit of lemon on there or whatever. Whatever it is that's part of your weight loss goals or whatever's going on with you, go over to Factor Meals. You have over 300 selections. You can pick out some nice meals that will help you with your diet and all your planning. 
you can get all this done in advance. They're going to bring the food right to your house so you can avoid the temptation of going to the grocery store and uh, going over to the self-serve bins where the chocolate-covered peanuts are and just feeding yourself until the managers chase you away. You can just have the food brought to your house. (laughs) You can avoid the cold weather because it's January. It's bitterly cold. And you can go home from work you can come home from the gym and you can have a nice meal there and it's all set up and it's prepped for you. And this is going to help you get on track, folks. Factor meals is something that a lot of people use to control that aspect of their life, particularly if they have, you know, weak willpower. I love food. So having having meals set up and prearranged for me uh, is a huge part of it. So go over there, use the code Wolfpack50. You can get 50% off. You can start leading a better life today. Let uh, let the rational part of you decide the food that you should be eating. Send a, send a gift of reasonable thinking and, and good meal planning to yourself in the future. We appreciate Factor for uh, working with us another year. Use the code WOLFPACK50. Go over there and try to make some sense out of your life. We appreciate it, Factor Meals. Kendra, uh, <laughs> we're talking about the story of uh, Gypsy Rose. It's a case of gross child abuse. Uh, You've mostly done it. Because, mostly because her name was a gypsy rose you made me big again (laughs) i made it but not not the biggest like the biggest was this like we didn't we decided against that i hate this so much but we did we did the normal side we just did side by side and it was fine you don't like that you like this no i don't like this (laughs) you like that whatever you want to do john it's okay (laughs) well i have to cut it into reels later so it's like it matters a little bit it's okay you can do whatever you want i'm just giving you crap yeah, this is fine. Okay. You were just giving me crap. Yeah. All the years we were married. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so now we're talking the story of Gypsy Rose, a uh, a young girl. She was born, you know, just after the turn of the millennium, I guess. I'm not real sure when exactly she was born, but. 91. Oh. So, you know, not accurate information right out of the gate. Um, <laughs> she was That's actually born. Here, in, she was born in the year of our Lord, 1991. Uh, the, at the very end of the 20th century, actually, is when she was born. But this is a case of uh, extreme child abuse. When I was listening to the podcast, it drove me nuts because they would all be like, hey, trigger warning. If you are upset by the idea of a child being abused, like you need to skip this episode. And like they got through all these long trigger warnings. I'm like, I'm not going to get upset by this. I'm a grown man. You know, I'm not I'm not going to break down in tears hearing a story like I'm not dead inside, but I'm also like I'm an adult. I can handle things. Then I had to hear all their stupid commercials, which aren't even nearly as good or as funny as mine. And so it was a real struggle just to even get into this case. But why don't you uh, why don't you uh, start talking about what the hell happened here? Okay, so like you said, <clears throat> she was born in '91 to uh, Claudine or Dee Dee Blanchard and her father Rod Blanchard. Um, they hail from the great state of Louisiana, and Gypsy. Gypsy Rose is her name, Gypsy Rose Blanchard. She unfortunately was born into, like a like you said, a little bit of an abusive situation. Um, at three months old, her mother, Dee Dee, kind of told people that she was experiencing, she being Gypsy Rose, was experiencing seizure symptoms and <clears throat> showing signs of like paralysis almost. So she started taking her to doctors to get checked out. And it didn't really seem that weird at first, but things started to escalate over the years. And by the time Gypsy was like six or seven, she was in a wheelchair. Um, 
later in uh, interviews that Gypsy did, she says that her mother put her in a wheelchair after she was in a an motorcycle accident, which sounds dramatic, but Gypsy says she just scraped her knee. So I don't really know what kind of accident it was, but Dee Dee took her to the hospital and told her the doctors gave me a wheelchair. Now you're going to be in a wheelchair. Um, forever. Forever. And <clears throat> it kind of like, it kind of rose suspicions in people, but she was getting diagnoses from doctors of different ailments throughout the years. And as Gypsy was, yes. Didn't this start even sooner though? Like right after she was born, she made some case that Gypsy Rose had sleep apnea as an infant, which of course is pretty serious. She went in and, you know, no tests were really done. And uh, yeah. the doctor gave her a breathing machine. And then uh, her father, who was out of the picture, they actually got divorced. They got married and divorced. Well, while in utero, well, Gypsy Rose was just getting formed up. In her mom's <laughs> womb. That whole relationship lived and died like even faster than ours. And uh, so the pops runs out of the picture, but he feels bad about it. So he's like sending, sending, she's sending Dee Dee money every month to support oh, yeah. this, uh, to support the kid. Cause obviously like just raising an, uh, a healthy child is a huge burden, but obviously Gypsy Rose has sleep apnea and all these other uh, oncoming problems. So, so it actually like started right away that uh, Dee Dee found out that she could get uh, cash and attention from having a, from having a disabled child. So, so I, I mean, it really started right away, didn't it? It did. And there is a long list of ailments that Gypsy Rose allegedly suffered from. Let's hear them. And the, I have granny notes for this. So you'll have to excuse me. There's a lot to this. In no particular order. In no particular order, Gypsy Rose allegedly suffered from seizures. Diphtheria. Paralysis. <laughs> no. Um, seizures. Gonorrhea. <sighs> Asthma, right, leukemia, <laughs> uh, muscular dystrophy, anemia, lung and heart disease. Um, another thing that that Dee Dee claimed was that Gypsy had the mental capacity of a six-year-old and she would never mature past that point. Um, she had some sort of chromosomal disorder. And at one point, Gypsy was put um, on a feeding tube, a permanent feeding tube, where that was how she got her nutrients um her mother would would give her yeah. whatever it's who knows not, it's not as bad as that it's actually way worse what i what i heard was is that dd gave her some sort of medicine that she didn't need that caused her to have an overactive saliva gland so she was drooling all the time and the doc and she took her to the doctor and said you know look at her she's she's drooling too much or whatever she's you know which can be an indicative of a lot of problems right so the doctors removed her saliva gland took it out which i like yeah. making spit it's a huge part of my digestive tract uh, makes me look cool you know when i'm spitting uh helps me behave in like uh, terrible ways while at a fight but anyway so the girl no longer has a saliva gland and they put in a, they put in a feeding tube like like unnecessary surgery is to the is the extent to which dd is making up bullshit putting her daughter under a, her healthy daughter under a knife and forever changing her life in pursuance yeah. of this image of of uh chronic illnesses so we're kind of just getting right into the meat and potatoes of this um essentially dd Dee Dee suffered well i not suffered she had 
uh, Munchausen by proxy. So Gypsy was a, uh, a victim of that her whole life. And if you don't know what Munchausen by proxy is, it is a mental illness in which someone who's in a caretaker function, like a parent or a caretaker, doesn't have to be a parent, um, believes or or creates scenarios to make the person they're taking care of uh, appear to have all of these illnesses that they don't actually have. And it could be for um, personal validation, for money. It could be for any real reason, um, but it is a mental how illness. People, they don't understand <clears throat> how people exchange love and care in a normal way. So they think that right. they have to do something to prompt that. And it can be caused by child abuse in the person's past or any sort of thing that like you said, skews their uh, perspective or, or idea of what love really is. Um, it's almost like if I make you sick, you have to depend on me and you have to love me. It's kind of the way I think it goes. But she, um, one of the things that she would do, go ahead. No, no, I think you're alluding to it is like the whole leukemia thing was a huge part of the identity. Yes. So one of the things that Dee Dee would do, um, and this is coming from Rod, her uh, gypsy's father, is that she would she had Gypsy on medications that would um, had side effects that would mimic symptoms of other diseases, and then she would get these diagnosis diagnoses for the diseases based on the symptoms that she was creating by giving her child medication. And she she researched and she did her homework on what combination of medications to give her. And as you said, her salivary glands were removed. And she had eye surgery when she didn't need to. She had a biopsy for mus muscular dystrophy done, which is a very painful procedure where they rip muscle out of your thigh, um, all these tests. And she lost her teeth. She had full dentures when she was like a child because her teeth rotted out of her head. Um, well, if you don't have a, a salivary gland, that's part of that. Like your teeth, yeah. your, your spit, have is a, it breaks down food, right? So uh, it, it's part of help keeping your mouth sanitized and clean that you have a, sal a saliva gland because it begins breaking down food right in your mouth like on a chemical level so that's also something that keeps your teeth clean is your saliva so if you don't have that your teeth and your gums and your mouth is just dry which is terrible for germs and of course your teeth are going to rot and fall out yeah and on top of that the medication and i don't know how i don't know gypsies everything that gypsy was and did was controlled by dd so I don't know how well she actually took care of Gypsy, like hygiene wise or, or, you know, that could play a role in it. But regardless, this child didn't have any teeth. Um, she was bound to a wheelchair. Dee Dee convinced her that she was mentally um, incapacitated um, and that she couldn't walk, even though Gypsy later said that she, she knew that she could. And when her mother wasn't around, she would walk. She would get caught walking. And her mother, Dee Dee, would uh, punish her physically. Uh, she would abuse her. And uh, this is stuff that's coming from Gypsy. And Dee Dee is no longer here, spoiler alert, to defend herself or say, no, that didn't happen. But given the facts, I believe Gypsy. And um, it makes perfect sense. One of the things, um, one of the big questions that came out of this case was, well, Gypsy, why wouldn't you say something to the doctors? Why wouldn't you say something to your neighbors if you knew that you were kind of healthy and you were trapped in this like prison that your mother put you in. And 
she was, um, she said she was afraid, obviously, but she was also isolated from everyone. She never went to school. She's never been formally educated. She was not allowed to speak to her family. She was not allowed to have friends. Her mother was her only source of social interaction, her only source of knowledge. And if her mother told her to do something, she would do it because there were punishments if she didn't. Yeah. And I mean, when, when you're, when you're that age, your mom tells you not to talk to the doctor. That's what you're going to do. Yep. And that's what you DA know, would do. When you say, why didn't she tell the doctor you're ascribing a level <laughs> of, of adult agency to someone who doesn't have that. Correct. And that is something Gypsy said DD would do as well. She would go into these doctor's appointments and tell DD, like, let me do the talking. You sit there and you play with your Barbies and you say nothing and you don't interrupt. And that's what Gypsy did because that's all she knew. Like you said, if you're, if you're being told that you're a child and you're being treated like one and your mother tells you to do something, you're going to do it. So this goes on for all of Gypsy's life. At one point, um, Dee Dee, well, at all points throughout this, Dee Dee was receiving money from charities, from the government. She had child support. She had all kinds of people. She, she lived at home. She lived in a, a at one point, a, a Habitat for Humanity yes. house. She was receiving Medicaid. She was on Social Security disability so that she could be at home full time to raise her daughter. Um, there was even some more fraud that was going on. I don't know if you have this plan for later in the story, but Hurricane Katrina came along and very conveniently destroyed all of the records of Gypsy's birth and life to the point where Gypsy's date of birth was obscured and her mother made her out to be younger than she was by several years. And um, like her father was forbidden from talking to her about her real age for whatever reason, you know, the dad just trusted her mom that, you know, for whatever reason, informing gypsy that she was an adult when she reached the age of 18 would be somehow be upsetting to her so she was constantly being infantilized and having to engage in, in lies about her status and um you have to remember too she's being drugged a lot of the time she's partially sedated she's not always with it so is she taking part of this you know as she learns more and more about her life and as the, the situation with her mother becomes more abusive she's starting to figure out her mother doesn't have all her best interests in mm -hmm. mind you have to remember this went on for her for her whole her whole life from when she was a baby all the way up until she reached adulthood and beyond. So she never had any semblance of of independence or her own identity outside of outside of her injuries or anything like that. She never, you know, she once once she started to make friends and connect with other people, that was when when things started to change. Yeah, she um as you said after Katrina, they received a home from Habitat for Humanity. I don't know if she paid for it or if it was given to her. I think it was a special thing because actually at one point uh, when they were in the ruins or whatever of Hurricane Katrina, somehow the Blanchards managed to make their way onto TV and they they played their case on TV like, you know, Hurricane Katrina was obviously awful to even the common person or even to the person who was doing well for themselves. And she says, you know, like, we have nothing anymore. It's just me and my daughter. My daughter has all mm -hmm. these illnesses and now we don't even have a home. And so charities reached out to her and said, like, you know, we're going to we see that you're a special case, but we're also going to make something of this, you know, for themselves or whatever. And so they were given a, a house in Springfield. So they they were she was given a cakewalk on a lot of yes. things here. Like it, to say that it paid off big time, that she abused her daughter and made it out to be a, a, this case of chronic illnesses and this 
bleeding heart case of, uh, you know, extreme tragedy, it really paid off because Didi, you know, never had to work after that at all. Yeah. One of the things that Dr. Phil, <laughs> Dr. Phil did a special with uh, Gypsy Rose and he called Gypsy Rose a cash cow for Didi. And that's exactly what she was. She benefited from Didi or from Gypsy financially. And she received hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout uh, Gypsy's life. She received obviously a home, free stuff, free trips, free trips, all kinds of things because Disneyland, people yeah. believed that this girl was some tragic laundry list of illnesses. And in reality, she was perfectly healthy. Now, obviously over time, I'm sure she wasn't because of the medications that she was no. given, but and there was having, having unnecessary surgeries. Right. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, the whole thing is wild to me because the doctors that gave her these diagnoses and did these procedures, I'm wondering how do you do that? How do you go, how do you get away with faking illnesses as faking leukemia? There's a picture of Gypsy ringing the bell when you're cancer free. How do you go? How does a doctor who's testing levels and I don't understand this. I will never understand this. But um, there was one doctor that we know of, just one singular doctor, because what Dee would do is if she didn't get the answer that she wanted, she would shop around for a doctor that would. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm obviously whatever doctor is giving her diagnoses and, and doing these procedures are quacks and they should not be licensed to practice medicine because um, this should never happen. This is, this is the it's way more com It's way more common than you think. Uh, I know my, it is. My, but... my sister had, uh, she had a whole bunch of things that were actually wrong with her. Like she had, she had, she was on the Asperger spectrum. She had oppositional defiant disorder. She had a, a whole bunch of things. Her life was pretty miserable, but she also had a really terrible mom. And her mom, I don't know. I don't think my mom had Munchausen's because certainly my mom never enjoyed any like status about, I mean, my mom, my mom would often draw attention to herself either with how hardworking she was or how put upon she was. So I'm not sure that it was clinical Munchausen's, but it was definitely her identity that she was a hardworking and put upon mother that no one understood. But, uh, you know, at one point my sister is, is on medicine. And she's on, she's on so many behavioral control meds that they're at like a toxic level in her body. And um, I know that at one point, my, a doctor that was treating my sister has since lost his medical license uh, because doctors, either from being unethical quacks, like you said, or they're just being a bias towards believing moms. Mm, um, yeah. That they, or uh, uh, the, the third thing is being, being unethical, being quacks, believing moms, but also just whatever, I'm going to bill your insurance that I had you in my office today and then you were getting these treatments and you were getting these meds and uh, I'll let, you know, you're, you talk about a cash cow, having a patient in your office and if they're, especially if they're well insured or if they're receiving government funds, uh, you just, you know, make, you, you, you would rack that up as much as possible. You would put it, go ahead and encode as many treatments and plans and things on there as, as much as you can. It's like, it's like bill padding. Because uh, yeah. that because that money is going to come straight from the government. So if you have any doctor's office that's anything short of like perfectly ethical, of course they're going to just do whatever and throw whatever on there. So those three things, I think for sure, combined probably often uh, that result in in children being mistreated and abused medically. Yeah, and uh, by the time Gypsy was to the point where she was on all of these um, 
treatment plans and things like that, she had a long history because Dee Dee had been building it since she was three months old. Um, and there were plenty of doctors that had chart notes, all kinds of stuff. And I know that doctors rely very heavily on notes, like charts from other uh, physicians. And if another physician is telling this doctor or it's in the notes that, yes, she has leukemia, Yes, she does have these things, and she's been on. I these, just you I know don't know what? how you can get blue. I don't know how you can get leukemia without a blood test, though. That's blood That's cancer. How come there's wild. not a single piece of paper that says it? Just sorry, I'm just blown away by that. I understand. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know. It's just pure um, systematic failure on the doctor's part, and it it just it makes no sense. Gypsy fell she get, through all the cracks. I get, I get that she's shopping around for doctors the way people shop around for cops, but at some point, like when you go to a new doctor. The, they want your old medical records. The doctor needs to see your charts and everything to know how to treat you. How can you just have a pediatric cancer patient and have no record of their prior doctor's diagnosis? Nothing that says mm -hmm. like she has this specific form of a leukemia and not run those tests yourself then. Uh, I know. How do you know. How do you proceed from that? How do you just like take it for granted that a kid has leukemia? As a doctor, you need to know what you're treating. Why do they- Leukemia is- and leukemia in particular is very vigor. Uh, it's a very bad disease. Like it's, very it's bad. very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not rigorous. It's pernicious. It's very like, um, hard, like obviously all cancer is horrible, but like there's some that are like really bad. Like, you know, pancreatic cancer is bad because you don't find it until it's very advanced. Um, leukemia is another one that's really bad because it's very hard on your body and it works very quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you, I don't, well, yeah, it doesn't make any sense thing, to me. Here's the thing too. So somebody believes she's got leukemia, but she's actually not on chemo because her mom had to shave her head all the time. These pictures that we have of her where her head is bust because she's bald, which is the huge like, oh, pay, have sympathy for my, my cancer child or the mm -hmm. here, you know, seen in a wig, you could clearly tell it's a wig. She's, she's got to, you know, sedate or otherwise put her, shave her daughter all the time and there was one podcast I was listening to just in preparation where she kind of let it slide. You know, she's obviously, uh, she's willing to work harder to obscure her daughter's, the truth of her daughter's health that she is actually to just go get a goddamn job. Uh, but she let her daughter, her hair grow out a little bit. And she was pissed that, you know, she, her daughter's, her healthy hair was coming in and she had to shave it all off or whatever. It's like the amount of attention and detail and work you have to put into this, to this kid to make her appear sick and to draw that sympathy. It's got to be harder than an actual job. I just don't understand it. But an actual job doesn't make people feel sorry for you. So I guess that's why. Yeah. And the like you said, I think the Munchausen speaks to the very core of the person and who how they perceive love. And that's a need that all humans have. Right. So if they if they can't fill that need. But by regular healthy interaction with other humans and they have to do these horrible, abusive things to other people in their life to feel that. They don't give a shit about the job. They don't give a shit about the person they're abusing. They just want to feel that validation and that love because that's the only way they know how to how to feel it. But um, there was one doctor that was mentioned. Maybe there were others, but the one that was mentioned was um, Doctor. I'm gonna mispronounce this. Flasterstein. That is a made up name. That's why you're mispronouncing it. Okay. Uh, well. Oh, can you just, so, like, if I was going to pretend to be a doctor, I would, like, <laughs> put on the lab coat, hello, I'm Dr. 
Plasterstein. Plasterstein. That would just sound like naming, a very made-up name. You're just naming things that are in the room. Yeah, and around. also for no reason, I'm two guys in a in a in a lab coat. I'm two. I'm very. I'm over nine feet tall. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you're very tall, Doctor Plasterstein. You just see like a hand like come up through the collar of your shirt and hand you a pen. Like here you go. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But this doctor uh, actually made an observation in his notes. He put this in his notes that says, quote, this mother is not a good historian. Strong possibility of Munchausen by proxy. He's telling other doctors because he he made Gypsy stand up and he realized like, okay, this, this, uh, this person is not paraplegic. They're, they don't clearly don't have muscular dystrophy because she's got healthy muscle mass and she can stand. And this pissed off Dee Dee because she, he started asking actual questions and saying, you know, she can walk. Why is she in a wheelchair? And it pissed her off and they left. And she told Gypsy, we're not going back to him because he's a quack. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he felt strongly enough about that interaction to put it in chart notes, which is very responsible of him. But it's the only evidence in any of her medical records where this is a thing. And yeah. I think and what I don't. Can a, what can a doctor do? You know, child protective services is so anemic anyway. Uh, you know, I, even my own family desperately needed the intervention of child protective services, and they visited one time, and I gave all the red flags, and they they came up with a plan where my parents would fix themselves over a summer, and then they never came back. So, uh, they're, the they're, system they're, of. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go I didn't ahead. mean to interrupt you. Now you go ahead. I'm about to get off of a long, a long tangent. People ain't got time for that. Go ahead. Well, I was going to agree with you. As a law, as a former law enforcement officer, I worked with child services quite closely, and I worked with them a lot. And um, I, I do know that there are very good, hardworking social workers out there who have the right temperament and heart for the job, and they do everything that they possibly can do to help. But on the whole, as a system, it's bullshit. They do absolutely nothing. They do nothing. They allow children. They, they appease. They appease the conscience of people who report things. This is essentially what they do. They. I have watched. Um, I've watched abuse happen in front of my eyeballs while I'm on scene with a down here. It's DCF, Department of Children and Families. I have watched abuse. Physical abuse happened in front of my eyeballs while I'm standing there with a DCF investigator and I made an arrest because I watched it happen and they did absolutely fucking nothing. And it happened in front of their eyes. I made an arrest in front of their eyes. There was drug drugs everywhere. And they did nothing. They didn't even do like a full blown report. It was anyway. Um, so I could go on a tangent about that as well. And they're absolutely fucking useless as an organization. And they need to be either completely abolished or revamped, like well, get rid it, of them and start over. <laughs> it, just to be clear, you know, if we've got somebody in the audience listening, we're not criticizing you specifically because I bet if no, we had no. somebody on the show, they would come in here and say, I am so hampered and, and hamstrung by the government or the law, as you as you often were as a police officer. Yeah, I understand that. And there's so little that I can do. Um, and I, I, myself, you know, my heart is broken over the th the things that I am unable to resolve because I know a lot of people who have washed out of the department of social services or whatever, because 
there's nothing they can do. They're just forced to confront right. the realities of the child abuse that goes on. Ultimately, it's because it's a government program and because yes. there's an inherent tension between how activist can we be to protect children, our most vulnerable in society, without having a government so powerful that it inherently has overreach powers. Like we have competing interests, right? The, the interests of a child who's supposed to be raised by parents, like we all agree that's best, but then how, you know, how do we decide and how do we investigate without broad sweeping powers to intrude on, on familial secrecy and privacy? You know, how do, how do we balance those things out? And it's, you, can, you can't really set up a perfect system to get it right to no. catch all instances or even most of them. So, yes, we hate, we hate those Department of Child Services or whatever it is you call them. But it's because they're government agencies and because there's competing interests. So there's no but, way to fix that either. Yeah, there, I've, that's why I said in the, you know, I've tried to make it clear. Like, it's not the actual social workers. It is some of them. Some of them need some to of be. Some of them, yes. Some of them need to be put in prison, in my opinion. Some but, of them. Um, I understand, like you said, as a former cop, there's only so so much that you can do when you work for a an, an agency or a government entity that is so deeply flawed that it just needs to be scrubbed. Um, but that's my that's my opinion on that. So take I know it for, for the grain of salt. I, I mean. I just hate that uh, we got complaints, but no solutions. I generally hate people like that I know because, because so often that's aimed at the police where it's like, you know, all cops are bastards and all cops are racist and all, you know, we need to defund the police. And, and we're all like, well, you know, that's not a very nuanced or thoughtful approach, but then you and I are just like defund child services. You know? I know we're being hypocrites, <laughs> but it's just but at, least we have, at least we have the self-awareness to admit it and say, maybe we don't know it all. And maybe, maybe the, maybe there is no perfect solution. So well, we, I do we think have, we have we've argued our way out of being uh, complete uh, a-holes on this one. Good job to us. I high five. I think that uh, I think scrubbing it completely is a solution and then redo rebuilding it. But that would cost a lot of money. So I guess it's not a good solution, but whatever. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, moving along. So this doctor, Flasterstein Stein, made up person. Uh, he made these notes, went in her charts, but nothing happened. No other doctors really paid that much attention, or if they did see it, they blew it off. And well, Munchausen believed... is very rare, right? Like Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy are are, are very, very rare. It's, and there's some there's some conditions where if you see it, you're just prone to reject it because it's like they, you know, yeah, epidemiology is a huge part of medicine, and just uh, the instance rate of a certain thing like a dissociative identity disorder or whatever, it just makes it extremely unlikely. So if you see someone's opinion that there's possible Munchausen by proxy here and everything that you would have to do to suss that out and just its unlikelihood, you know, I could see why people would brush past that, particularly when she is, when ironically she presents the perfect image of a caring mother, which is totally what Munchausen's about. How do you get around that, right? That and Gypsy does have symptoms. She has legitimate symptoms. They're not caused by illness or caused by medications. But, and I think that was the only note in any of her medical records about Munchausen. So I do understand why they would maybe blow it off. But it's scary because that's that should be like an immediate red flag that you kind of investigate if you see that in a, in notes. Even if you think they're, you know, over-exaggerating or maybe they didn't, you're not perceiving that, you should still at least kind of maybe be like, uh... But whatever. I'm not a doctor. I don't think they, you know, that's another soapbox. I don't think doctors are called to the carpet enough over the shit that they do. 
and um, wow. they kill people every fucking day and they never get they get sued but well anyway. they have liability insurance too so yep so anyway we're just calling everybody out today doctors dcf it's everyone's fault, fault but ours <laughs> i know i'm the only one that does a good job in society <laughs> you win forget, society forget forget that like you know i you know i do the best i can but people still die under my care as a 911 dispatcher <laughs> forget the the you know the high number of of criminals that you have killed out of anger me yeah <laughs> yeah wait that was a huge <laughs> allegation i just made on the i know thanks true. a lot that is not true people <laughs> So moving along, let's change the subject. J let's get back to the actual, like, you know, reason we're here. Um, so this goes on for all of Gypsy's life, blah, 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 blah. They're in this house. They're in, they're in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. The neighborhood they're in is, uh, I believe the entire neighborhood is like habitat homes. And so a lot of the neighbors have things to relate over. They come from struggle and they're a pretty close knit community. Gypsy starts to befriend one of the neighbors by the name of Leah. She's about Gypsy's age. And she starts to kind of, she's watching Aaliyah and hanging out with her and seeing that she's like, you know, Aaliyah is a typical um, teenage girl. She's got friends. She goes out. She's got a boyfriend. You know, like she's doing all the things that typical people do. And it's causing Gypsy to really question why am I not experiencing these things? Why am I not allowed to do this? And mind you, like you said, talking about the birth date, one of the things um, that made this whole thing super like explosive was that Dee Dee lied, obviously, to Gypsy about her medical conditions, but she also lied to her about who she kind of was. Like she made Gypsy believe that she was a lot younger than she really was. And she, Gypsy, uh, basically found a birth certificate and some Medicaid cards that had her real birthday on it in a safe. And she questioned her mother about it. And it was met with some pretty big consequences for Gypsy. Um, she was locked in her room for weeks on end. There was one point where um, Gypsy got on their shared laptop. They had a Facebook page together and she started talking to boys. She started like a dating profile. And when Dee Dee found out, she smashed the laptop, threatened to um, use the hammer to smash Gypsy's fingers, allegedly handcuffed her and tied her to her bed for two weeks. So she's not just faking illnesses. She's being very abusive. Um, and Gypsy is trapped in this prison, essentially. But despite all of that, Gypsy still maintained some sort of internet presence and she was desperate to make connection with another human, basically. So she continued to be active on her dating profile, and she made a connection with a man named Nick Godijohn, who would be her boyfriend and later her accomplice. Um, Nick he's, is a he's is, seen here in this photo, literally in the act of committing an, an embarrassing crime. <laughs> Rock and roll McDonald's. Rock and roll McDonald's. <laughs> oh my God. Another, in, another inside joke. Uh, uh, so what was his criminal <laughs> record like? Well, on one occasion, Nick here, this upstanding citizen who's on a Christian dating website, just, just proves you can never trust anything. Um, spent 
sometime at a McDonald's, you know, the family restaurant with the golden arches where you can get some chicken McNuggets, a quarter pounder, and then play in a ball pit, which is almost 90% urine free. He spent a day at McDonald's, nine hours, in fact, looking at pornography on a tablet, and presumably, although I do not know for sure, masturbating. And a whole shift at McDonald's, unable to resolve the quandary of how to stop this gross uh, masturbating porno guy with nothing better <laughs> to do than sit at a McDonald's for nine hours, which is a punishment to me if I had to do that, to be in a McDonald's for nine hours. I don't even like going to McDonald's for a few minutes. Um, he's in there all day just hanging out, not working. Uh, somehow with incredible battery life on his laptop or his tablet. Nine hours. Yeah, of- like are you plugged in or what are you doing there, pal? Are you on McDonald's' hours. Wi-Fi too? Like, well, uh, he think was. They had blockers or something. I don't know. Maybe he probably wasn't. Were- well, the the way the news reported it, they said the word fondling, but we all know what that means. Himself for nine hours. Now I'm sure it wasn't. He wasn't taking up the entire like minute to minute doing that but whoa whoa that's just terrible i don't even know how to begin to wrap my brain around that so i'm not gonna nine hours ruining mcdonald's this man if you see if you even saw this guy at mcdonald's i realize that him making eye contact is like especially intrusive but if you see this guy at mcdonald's hanging out for like longer than 33 minutes you should call the police and that's coming from a 911 dispatcher who doesn't like it when people call the police I grew up, a uh, little side note, we'll get back to the story. I grew up in a, McDo- in a McDonald's. <laughs> now I'm from McDonald's, but I got to tell you, this pisses me off because there's a whole long line of dramas that grew up and lived in McDonald's. And it was good. No, we were, there were good um, people at McDonald's. Oh my God. The Golden Archers cradled me <laughs> as a young child. I slept no. in the slide. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in a town that was pretty small at the time. And one of the things to do was go to McDonald's after school because it was across the street from the high school. And I've been in those towns. I get you. Yeah. That's what you do. And we used to get run off because management didn't like us loitering. Like they would or wait fondling. To, or fondling. They so would wait. Even get to that point. My is what I'm saying is like, you didn't, you were just mischievous and they got told you to beat it. We and weren't even being, this guy's That's a bad choice of words. And no one else <laughs> So what's crazy is they would like sit and wait for you to be done eating. And then if you didn't leave within five minutes, the manager would come out and be like, you have to go. If you're not eating, you have to go. Get out. So and probably because I had problems with um, mischievous uh, people beating it. I don't know. But that, that is nine hours is excessive to be doing anything really, except maybe sleeping. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> Nick not too long to have it. Not to, it's not too long to work. You can work for nine hours, Nick. Oh, that's true. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Anyway. So this Nick character and gypsy hit it off. They are, it's a love story. They are like totally like, just mad like about each other. Cinderella. Her prince has come. Yep. And they finally meet in March of 2015. I don't know exactly well, how long well, they were talking. But the, but there was there was uh, there was a problem with that right like so she meets Nick on the internet on the old Christian dating website. She's not allowed to use the internet. She's not supposed to be using it. And the whole thing is in secret. She's sneaking around while her mom's asleep, uh, communicating with people on the internet. Nick being one. And so 
how do you broach the subject with your mom? Just by the way, I have a boyfriend on the internet and I love the guy and we want to be together, but uh, you're not even, I'm not even supposed to be communicating with him. So how do we overcome the problem of we're separated? We want to be together without me getting in trouble with my mom for violating the household, no communicating with the outside world policy. So they, <laughs> yeah. they, they formulate the first of many great plans. Yeah. The first, the first of like two great plans. So, well, yes, it's first in a series of two. So, <laughs> so okay. the, their plan is this. She likes Disney films. Mom likes taking the, the girl out to show her off how about the fa- the Blanchard family plight and get all that good old Munchausen good feelings. So there's a screening of the great classic, the Russian epic of Cinderella, as told by Walter Disney. It's going to be at a theater. So she's going to dress up as Cinderella. She's going to cosplay, which I guess at one point she had also cosplayed on under, or she had been to a convention or something. Anyway. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to go to this thing dressed up as Cinderella to show my mother that this was meant to be and to not be weird at all. You come to this children's movie by yourself dressed up as Prince Charming. You know, not don't don't come dressed as someone who would fondle themselves as a, in a McDonald's for nine hours. No, <laughs> be less creepy than that. Dress up as Prince Charming. And my mother will see that it's meant to be because obviously we both are super into the movie. You literally are Prince Charming. And how and in spite of this, so so that happens. So they go to they go to the theater and uh they meet. And then uh and then uh Gypsy Rose, she gotta make a tinkle or whatever. She gotta go potty. She sneaks off to the bathroom. Prince Charming also disappears at that same time. And the two first copulate an act of carnal love, unimpeded. By others at the theater, the feeding tube, Dee Dee. <laughs> they have they, they they make the nasty in the bathroom. John, <laughs> sorry, I don't know whether a way to describe carnal engagement other than making. Could just nasty. say they had sex. They just had sex, people. It it happens, you know. They went to the handicapped bathroom or the family bathroom, locked the door, and they had sex. They were together in the biblical sense. Anyway, uh, it's dirty. So, gross, wrong, right? No one should have sex. These two are having sex. So, no one should have sex I don't ever think again. Should. Have you no. met people? I know. You, you look at this race of people and you think, let's do it one more time, one more generation. I don't think so. Like, everybody, <laughs> everybody cool off. Everybody just you. quit that. Just stop. Everybody stop it. Quit, quit doing it. If I had the time and the ability, I would follow around everybody with a fire extinguisher and just, I would, uh, I would be the argon to their flames of passion. It would be over with. Ew. What? Nothing. Just keep going. You to their passion. You <laughs> I... to your passion. Yes, you to passion. You to child passion. And they're dressed <laughs> up like Disney characters in the bathroom of the theater. I, think I don't we... think they're children at this point. I can't point. believe you're coming out as pro-Disney theater sex. Between they're... <laughs> that's they're your not hot minors. This episode. They're not minors. Well, she at this thinks point. she is. She thinks she's a minor. Well, then John's yikes. Or not John. <laughs> His name is This Go is to the John. second week in a row you have confused me for the villain of the story. You said the same thing about Robert Mormon, where Robert Mormon's doing similarly bad stuff 
And you say, then John went to the Blue Mist Motel. I'm like, oh, not John. Well, it, in my why, defense. Why do you keep confusing me for the villain of the story? In my defense, his last name is Go to John. So I thought John. I don't know. Anyway, Nick. Um, if Nick believes that she's a minor, that's another issue that we have. There, I don't but know. Anyway. The, the issue of their, their minority doesn't. They're doing something that's illegal anyway, and it's bad for them. But anyway. Yes. So, uh, so they have sex in the bathroom at the theater. And then, uh, so what happens after that? Well, obviously they are like in love with each other. He goes back to Wisconsin and, um, they continue their, their love story and they talk on, on the internet all the time. And they come, they start realizing that they're, they want to be together. They want to get married. They want to, um, have a life, um, as they name any their children. As any two people would who are in love, I guess. But Gypsy's like, uh, just got one problem. My mom. What are we going to do about that? This cruel oppressor who has ruined my life and continues to ruin it. Well, Nick luckily has a romantic side and a sexual side, which is scary because he's into some pretty fucked up shit. Uh, but luckily, he also has an evil side who's available upon demand. <laughs> He claims that he's got multiple personalities or dissociative identity or whatever. Uh, he's probably just got a very low IQ and it doesn't have a Forrest Gump temperament. Uh, and um, so he says, well, I have all these aspects to me and one of them is evil, you know. And uh, so, she, <laughs> so she's like, well, I want to make sure I'm not, you know, ever really in touch with this evil version of Nick. But uh, so a plan is, is hatched, a perfect plan. Yes, um, the plan is that evil Nick or Victor, a 500-year-old vampire, yes, that is... It's back, baby. Uh, the vampire's it's back. back. It's back. His evil side is going to um, come down to Missouri, murder Dee Dee, and then he and Gypsy are going to run away and be together forever. Unimpeded. This is the plan. So... Uh, June 9th of 2015, so we're a couple of months after the Cinderella incident, a couple of Facebook status updates happen on um, Dee Dee's page, right? One of them is that bitch is dead. And then there's a second one that I will read to you aloud for the class. I hope it's a poem. It is a poem. It's a haiku, actually. Is it really? No. Damn it. I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so loud, LOL. So these are uh, two different statuses that happen um, within a couple of hours. And this is very obviously out of character for Dee Dee. So neighbors are rightfully very concerned. They go to check on her and nobody answers the door. They call law enforcement to do a well-being check and law enforcement looks in and sees basically like signs of trouble. They go in and they find Dee Dee stabbed to death face down in her bed. They're informed about Gypsy's presence in the home and they go look for her and she's nowhere to be found. Her wheelchair is in the bathroom, um, which is kind of odd, but they basically are like, she's missing, right? So this investigation is kind of, I, I would assume, be treated like a 
home invasion kidnapping, which is kind of a theme we have in the show, apparently. Um, they put out... We should change the name of it to John and Kendra invade a home and kidnap a story or something. A story. They've put the emphasis this, on a story, a, a fictional like, story. <laughs> this is just very like Ketty Cabin from like months ago. That's all. The and also... And the vampire slayings too. Um, I know. You ever get you ever get the feeling that like true, true people who go out, go out and commit true crime for this for the podcast that they're not trying hard anymore. I so, do you think? Are you saying that people do these things just so we can podcast about them? So we have content for the internet. Are you suggesting that like they actually killed Dee Dee because they wanted to murder her? What? Do you, do you hear yourself? No, never mind. You're not picking. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> you missed what I was saying. <laughs> you missed what I was saying. I did clearly. So um, that happens a lot. Sorry. Uh, anyway, they, they put out this, uh, you know, they sound the alarms. Uh, Gypsy is disabled. She's can't take care of herself. She's got the mental capacity of a six-year-old. She's missing from a violent. Which means um, she can't state. learn anything beyond age six, of course, obviously. Obviously not. <laughs> Good no. callback. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody's freaking out. A couple of days go by and um, they find Gypsy and Nick at his well, they, home in they, Wisconsin. They're able to figure out that the person who who you who accessed Dee Dee's Facebook mm -hmm. had an had an, uh, an ISP address or an IP address, which uh, you can actually reverse locate. IP addresses to a physical place because your IP address is associated with your router or your internet provider. It's literally yes. the same thing as a physical address. So we know that the person who accessed the address lives at this house. So mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't too much searching for the Missouri authorities to say, hey, this comes back uh, to this house in Wisconsin. But they had another lead beside that too. They had talked to her friend and they said, you know, who is it that's in their lives that could be responsible for this? And we're like, well, Gypsy had a secret boyfriend named nick and then uh you know then they look him up see this they see the whole mcdonald's like uh masturbation thing and they're like yeah this guy fits this is probably our a good candidate and then no uh, and then what's his last name go to john mm -hmm. so then when they look up the uh, the ip address and it's like mr and mrs go to john and they're like <laughs> that's it <laughs> That's our place. The podcast that I said, uh, the podcast I listened to says, even the worst detective could figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and then I, I just, it opened up a, a realm of thought for me. I'm like, who is the world's worst detective? Because so, there's always someone who's the best, right? You know, there's someone out there that's right now is like the best detective on earth. And Officer Randy. Officer Randy, possibly him. But then by the same token, somebody's the worst. And it's just, you just have to wonder like who graduates last in the detective class? Who is it that just like really can't like, you know, do an accident investigation, but they're a detective? You know, who is it that, who is it that out there is doing that? And you probably know that person, but. I was uh, going to say, anyway. I, have, I have an image in my head of a particular individual that I know who yeah, was probably his, the worst. Say his name surreptitiously at some point no. during the show. But anyway, uh, so even the worst detective could put two and two together. That's what we're doing. So yep. uh, Wisconsin authorities go on out there and they they uh, they take uh, Nick, go to John, and uh, Gypsy Rose into custody. <clears throat> and when they go get her, she's like, yeah, I can walk and all my illnesses are fake. They're like, whoa, you know, this is a whole other thing. And uh, yeah, 
Kendra, talk us, uh, talk us through the investigation. Obviously, these two are lovers. They've got uh, the, all their interests aligned. There's no reason why either one should squeal on the other or blame the other person. They're going to stick together in solidarity, and the detectives are never going to be able to crack this. Why don't you take us through exactly what happened in that investigation? So obviously, as you would with any um, investigation, unless you are the worst detective on Earth, on Earth, um, they are separated and they're questioned separately. Gypsy gives an initial story that Nick had these dark fantasies of murdering Dee Dee and taking Gypsy from her home. And while, yes, Gypsy was in love with him and wanted to marry him, she never wanted him to hurt her mother. She never wanted to um, have any of this happen. Nick, basically, in her, in her initial interview, um, essentially just came in, did what he wanted to do, raped her. And then convinced her to leave with him. Nick's interview, on the other hand, um, he he cracks pretty quickly. Uh, again, Nick is an individual who has autism and a low IQ. I say and to clarify that just because you have autism does not mean you have a low IQ or that you're capable of doing these things. I'm just throwing that out there. But this is what he, what he had. And he claimed to have uh, multiple personalities and hear voices for which he was taking medication. Um, he wasn't at the time of, of this murder, but this is stuff that he's providing to the detective. And the detective basically plays on his emotion for Gypsy and says, you know, if you, if you love her, and in his words, he worships her, um, then you're going to do right by her and you need to be honest because it's not fair for her to be telling the truth and for you to lie. And this immediately cracks him and he admits to um, killing Dee Dee and that Gypsy wanted him to, asked him to, so they could be together. Um, Nick admitted to stabbing Dee Dee four times. It turns out she was stabbed 17 times and nearly decapitated. Um, and the knife that he used was stolen from Walmart by Gypsy. Then he That's says the part that, that pushes me over the edge is the retail theft. Yes. You just can't stand for that, huh? No. <laughs> it's just too much for you. I gave my life, you know, in the form of two years of being employed part time to Target to stop that sort of thing. So, <laughs> no, it doesn't sit right with me. This is personal. <laughs> now it's personal. Um, attack on well, one of us is attack on all of us. I was going to say, you'd be happy to know it was Walmart, not Target, but I guess the solidarity. No, no, actually, it's not true. Uh, when when I was in loss prevention, all the retailers got together every month and we all shared intelligence because the same people that hit Target hit Walmart. So, no. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so this is Nick is Nick said, I'll admit it. I, st I stabbed her mom. That's what he said. And um, that's pretty much uh the gist of his interview, they obviously go back and talk to Gypsy and she kind of like, she's like, all right, I'll tell you the truth. She obviously doesn't tell the whole truth, but she basically says like, yeah, I did know this was going to happen. Um, I don't think she ever admitted to asking him to until later at Nick's trial when she was a witness for his, for the defense. She did. Well, yeah, but all their emails and all their correspondence exactly. and all that stuff, all their, all their interactions on, you know, Christian mingle or whatever it was. And I, it's all laid out there on paper, all that stuff that you think is a uh, discreet conversations that you're having on the internet. Uh, it's all discoverable and it can be used against you. Uh, so, you know, make, make sure you yes. keep that in mind. So the, the entire plan and they were was texting. hashed out. 
texting. So the whole thing's the whole thing's discoverable. The whole thing's planned out. They know that at one point, uh, Gypsy had said, like, you know, I need I need to get in touch with uh, I need to get in touch with your evil side. When I need I need evil Nick to do something, you know. Um, and so you know, and and just the planning stages where uh, she, you know, she's like, hey, I stole this knife, and and Nick, you know, is like. The evil side of me would also need duct tape. You know, it's just very. <laughs> it's like when a pregnant woman is like, "The baby wants ice cream. You have to go mm-hmm. get me ice cream because that's what the baby wants." Like, it's just weird know. the way that these two, uh, these two, they're they're very infantile people, right? You have you have adults here who have different degrees of functioning: one through abuse and neglect, and the other through just yeah. the way he was born. What what I what struck me on this case is like these three people, not great people. You know, and, and and when she meets and interacts with Nick, I'm just like, what are the odds that like, you know, one other person on earth and it's your captive mother who abuses you and uses you as a cash cow and straps you down and beats you with a hanger and, and threatens to smash your fingers and uh, gives you drugs and unnecessary surgeries. One, you know, one person on earth and that's it. Then the second person, you know, is this guy. It's like, you just, you don't get any luck at all. Like, you're just going to know these two people. Fuck, you just do not have a chance. And so, you know, I think Gypsy Rose is kind of a bad person by virtue of the fact that she never got to know a good person or behave normally. And I think she did fairly well for at least wanting normative desires of of a life outside of being a, a crippled person or or whatever. And and being smart enough to, like, figure out how to set up her own discreet, you know, communications and things like this. She's obviously a smart person for someone who's never been yeah. extensively educated. Um, and... What's interesting yeah. now is that when people interview her now, she talks about what a great life she has in prison because she's got some kind of structure. She's got people who are around her that she can, you know, again, not great people to get to know, but she can make friends. She can get up. She can have a routine. She can walk around. She's allowed to grow out her hair. She could go get something to eat. She could pursue her own interests. She has downtime in the library. I think she had pursued her GED. And so it's just amazing. It shows how bad her life was that go even yeah. going to prison was a step up for her. Like she's in many ways, she's getting she's getting the formality of school or the structure of school or the the, the socialization of of a different environment of just not being a shut in. She's getting some things that she needs. And uh, yeah. I was sad to hear that she has a pen pal of some kind, which just never works out for her. And I wish she would figure that out. But. Uh, yeah. That there's some sort of uh, man in her life who's interested in uh, becoming Mr. Gypsy Rose. And I don't know if they're still planning on getting married or if that's even already happened, you know, because in marriages or weddings inside the walls happen. But well, um, I was going to. Yeah, I just it seems like Gypsy, you should just be your own person. Like you've already had the whole family thing and you've already had the romantic uh, relationship thing by way of uh, communication uh, from a great distance. Maybe you should just do your own thing. Well, I was going to say, um, you said it, but I was just thinking like, if you are, your life is so bad that being in prison is the highlight of your life. And that's the point that makes you feel the most normal is, is very telling of what Gypsy went through. And, um, I'm not condoning murder or obviously, but I am a little sympathetic with where she's coming from because, She's definitely we'll get got that. those mitigating circumstances that we've talked about before. Yes. You know, um, um, and- everything that she did was, it was all with, it really was in the context of everything that happened to her. I mean, trying you can't to escape. Dis- you just can't discount it. 
because it's right. it, her life was so abnormal and so everything that was going on with the the victim of this case it was so so destructive to her own life that you know it's like battered woman syndrome but like to the fullest extent because she never she never had her own life you know it wasn't like she, there was any point where she had a prior relationship where she was ever yeah. outside of anyone's control right so um after these after the interviews obviously they go to court um gypsy pleads guilty to second degree murder where she's sentenced to 10 years um in prison and possibility of parole after i think two years two three years um I think that she probably took the plea deal because she was looking at a first degree murder charge, which I don't think they would have been able to to do. But um, yeah, because she wasn't the one that actually stabbed her mom. I mean, she was right. a co-conspirator in that, but uh, it would also be hard to make a first degree stick just because so anyone's going to have sympathy for her. They're not going to have any for Nick. Right. There were too many mitigating circumstances to, um, I think, go to trial and they probably gave her a decent plea deal because they knew that. And also um, she would give information about Nick, yeah, who was the one that did the murder. State's witness for Nick. Nick still says that was the best time of his life, which just shows how shitty his life has been too. Well, she, um, he, he said, he said, I loved her. I, she's my soulmate. And uh, the time that I spent with her uh, killing her mom, almost as good as those nine hours I once spent in a McDonald's. <laughs> that day and those nine hours will forever be. <laughs> My highlight of my life. Mm. Um, Nick went to trial for the for the charge of first degree murder. He was found guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Gypsy was actually a defense witness, and while she took when she took the stand, she said that um, she planned this out and she did ask Nick to kill her mom. So it kind of it comes out in the wash, but. yeah, it's just, it's it's very sad all the way around because, like you said, all three of these people are broken and they have they all have their own issues, and it was just like the perfect storm of shit. And um, Dee Dee is now dead because of it. So eh, I don't care about Dee Dee by her um, own. Yeah, well, um, this is do you want this is Gypsy just as Gypsy Rose now. She's mm-hmm. like happy to be in prison. You can see her; she's in a prison garb. She's just happy she has hair. She's like, look, I have hair, but I'm not, I don't, I don't have like some horrible disease. I don't have to use a wheelchair here in prison. Like she actually looked, first of all, her hair looks styled. Her hair is very curled. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that uh, they have some way of uh, making rollers hot in prison or something. Cause I don't know. Well, I don't know how she would have curled her hair. Well, now she can curl it with a curling iron because she was released on the 28th of December. What? She is no longer in prison. She yeah. was released in the past. <laughs> Yes, she was released in the past. Um, she in was fact, just what, released just just four or five days ago, depending on whatever day is today, huh? Yep, she was released after serving eighty five percent of her prison sentence, and she was supposed to get out in twenty twenty six. But she's a, she's a free woman now. She's out walking around, and Nick is still in prison, probably pining for her and reminiscing on the fun times that he had. Uh, killing her mother and then making her clean it up naked and then having sex with her and running away and going to McDonald's. Yeah. Whenever they have French fries in the chow hall, it gets Randy. <laughs> Officer uh, Randy. Sorry. <laughs> Officer Randy did not approve of that. 
McDonald's <laughs> is for families. Oh my God. I will arrest anyone who goes in there for nine hours, whether they've done anything wrong or not. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just being there that long is at least loitering. True. Yeah. One of the things that you and I have discussed prior on the show, which I think is a good, this is a good time to talk about is uh, why people plead not guilty when they have evidence stacked against them, why they go to trial, something that a lot of podcasters who don't understand criminal investigation do talk about that. They, they're like, why, why does this asshole think he's going to get away with it? This piece of shit said not guilty. Where does he get the gall to say he's not guilty? They found him covered in blood with a knife in his hands. How could he say he's not guilty? That liar. He's lying. That's Guess what? what? Guess what? If you plead guilty, you don't get a trial. So there are many yeah. purposes of trial. One of them in the case of Nick, um, is that you go to get a lesser sentence or a lesser charge. And in the case of Nick, go to John, his attorneys were not disputing the fact that he murdered Dee. He confessed to it. There's evidence. That is not why people plead not guilty. They do it because Nick was looking at first degree murder, which carries a life sentence or the potential of getting a second-degree murder based on the mitigating circumstances that he is, in fact, mentally impaired and that he is easily manipulated and that he was basically conned into doing this murder. That would be a second-degree murder, and that carries a sentence of 10 years to life. Missouri so, also has the death penalty. So if Yes. Had, what if he had said, what if he had been like an idiot vampire where he said, like, ah, forget it, I'm guilty. And they don't strike a plea bargain. So the judges are like, okay, we're going to move to sentencing phase. And just so you know, you're, you're eligible for the death penalty. So, yep. And that's you're, why you're people... just, you're basically committing like some version of legal suicide here uh, by saying that you're guilty and you're not going to explore your options. You're not going to exercise your rights. When you say I'm not guilty, you're not saying I'm innocent. You're saying, I, I right. want to go through the process. I want to use the rights afforded to me by the constitution to explore the entire process and get through this using my rights to the most favorable outcome for me, even if it's going to result in a conviction. There's also rolling the dice. You get a jury that believes you, complete, lets you off completely scot-free. There's some dumb juries out there. There's some really good lawyers out there. There's always a chance by pleading not guilty, you could walk away from that and have nothing happen. So why wouldn't you take that chance, particularly when you're up against a life sentence or a death sentence? Roll the dice. You know, there, you may as well do I know. that. But at the, at the same time, so people will plead not guilty because they want the trial. People will also complete, they will plead no low contendere or no contest. Mm -hmm. And the reason they'll do that is because they don't want a trial, uh, but they also don't want to make an admission. So why would you do that? Well, you might plead no contest saying you're essentially pleading guilty. You're saying I did it and I'm ready to accept the punishment for it, but I'm not, I'm not admitting in a court of law that I did this. You're basically saying, I don't want to have a contest. I don't want to have a trial. I don't want to fight it. Let's skip to the end. Well, the reason you would do that is like any kind of civil penalty that you might have afterwards, a conviction or a guilty plea could be entered as evidence against you. And so if you say, I'm guilty, I did this, let's just get on with it. That's you elocuting to a crime. It's an admission. And that can come into civil things later. So if you don't want to go through this uh, long, drawn-out criminal process, you want to skip to the end, presuming, assuming that you're, the sentence that you're going to get is not as egregious as, as life or death. Uh, you also don't want that to be used against you in a suit. 
uh, a civil suit, you don't want to get sued. So that's why you would uh, plead no contest or no trial or, or whatever. So there's reasons why people plead things and it has nothing to do with uh, their audacity. It's, you know, a, a trial is a, is a proceeding and it has to be handled appropriately. And it's almost like people just don't understand that basic level. Uh, no, they don't. And I would, I think any good defense attorney would push a client who has a, a not diminished, but a lower IQ. And he is very easily manipulated. Okay. But there are certain things you are and are not allowed to take into real consideration as a jury. And there are certain standards when you're talking about somebody who is, has a diminished capacity, um, that they have to meet certain requirements. You can't just be like, oh, well, poor guy. Yeah, he was manipulated. We'll find him not guilty. You can't do that. There's certain boxes that need to be checked. And a good attorney um, understands that and would encourage their client to go to trial so that they could potentially get a lesser sentence. The, the, the attorneys in this case never, ever thought in a million years that they would go into that trial and get a not guilty and he would walk free. It's not the purpose of the trial. The purpose was to save him from life imprisonment. Um, yeah. dur during the trial, there were two uh, clinical psychologists, one for the state, one for the defense. They disagreed on his um, mental capacity. The state psychologist said that he was fine and he showed many signs um, through their planning of this and through uh, video surveillance of them getting on buses and, and him just interacting with people around him. And then, so that was the state psychologist and he, he said he was fine. Right. The defense psychologist said that he had plenty of signs that he's got these mental issues and all that, including the psych, uh, schizophrenia and the DID and um, some sort of psychotic break when he was 13 and all this stuff as a juror. Um, it's a very tough thing to do. And this is part of the reason why I am on the fence when it comes to having jury trials, because a lay person is what they call them. Like you're not a, you're not an attorney. You're not law enforcement. You're not in the world. You're just, um, you're a peer. You're a peer. Right. So you didn't go to law school. You don't fully understand necessarily what goes into it. And part of the opening statements and everything, and the judge gives them a speech about how as a juror, you're only allowed to consider X, Y, Z when you're coming to your, when you're deliberating. But that's um, very difficult for somebody to do who has never had to separate their um, emotional body from their logic or their just looking at a case, just looking at facts and nothing outside of it and not letting their uh, biases come into play or whatever. So there's always a chance, like you said, that you get a jury with most people who, um, lead with their emotions and they just feel bad maybe. And you could walk away with a not guilty plea, but that's very rare. I mean, most people are pretty with it, but there's, there's a lot of reasons. I'm just saying there's a lot of reasons why people go to trial, even though they know that they're, they've done the crime that they're being charged with. It just not to mention billable hours. Why wouldn't you want to have the lawyer advise? Not guilty? <laughs> well, that way you, right. Yeah. I could do more work and this will. That put right. my kid through college. So that was my little soapbox. That irritates me a lot when they're like, why would you plead not guilty? You know, you did it like, because there's a legal reason why it's called procedure. It's not saying not guilty because I didn't do it. Yeah. It's not, it's not audacity. It's just what you're supposed to tell the judge so that the trial begins. Correct. So anyway, there's yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Kendra's full activated. She's mad for 2024. Uh, we look forward to another year of broadcasting these true crime podcasts with a former cop and a guy who's a 911 dispatcher. 
Uh, Failure to Stop's a whole family of shows. On Sunday, you can catch Conservative Ant talk about conspiracies. On Monday night, there's uh, some live comedy with J. Darrell White. We're here every Tuesday to uh, upset you with stories of true crime that have action, actually happened in your lifetime and others. Uh, Wednesday has all the political news that you need to stay informed so you don't sound like an asshole. Uh, Thursday is the sports show, folks. Uh, it's almost uh, the playoffs. Uh, getting geared up for that, so catch us on Thursday. It's described as uh, very funny, uh, not just by my mom. Uh, <laughs> Friday, <laughs> Friday is the big show uh, where Eric and Tyler break down stories from the Thin Blue Line and also just yeah, other cool shit going on in the world. We appreciate you uh, supporting us. Support our sponsors. Uh, you can find uh, Kendra online at... Uh, the Instagram handle of a true crime drama and uh, true I'm on crime there underscore. underscore. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> my, one of my favorite marks and uh, I'm difficult to look at pictures without any marks. Cause I didn't have time for that. So if you want to interact with me on the internet, you can do that at difficult to look at pictures. Uh, we just got done last week. We did a, a Kendra does Patreon episode. We're looking to do more of those. So if you're a cop, if you're a number one dispatcher, if you're someone who works a beat, or if you just have a real good true crime story of something that happened to you, uh, email it uh, to truecrimedrama at gmail.com, and that'll be in part of a future episode. So we like involving uh, you guys, the audience, in our true crime show. Thank and just you so to, much. For, just to clarify real quick, sorry to interrupt you, but you, every drama, time you interrupt me, I want to cry. <laughs> Go ahead. Drama is spelled with a J. It's J-R-A-M-A. I just have to clarify because that's happened before where someone's trying to find drama like with D-R and that's not how yeah. it's spelled. You shouldn't have tried to be unique or to pay homage to an H. I know. It never fucking pays off. No, nothing does. All right. Why well, look forward to life with a sentiment like that? Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for uh, watching the show. We appreciate you out there in the Wolf Pack. Thanks for watching our show live. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you next week. Guns up, giddy up. And remember, stay, stay safe. safe and don't get yourself true crimed or whatever. Whatever. That's our whatever. sign off here. Our yeah. new sign off is not. It's just <laughs> whatever, man. Hey, hey, whatever, man. Whatever. <laughs>